Taking a scenic drive 40 minutes north of Manhattan, we were fortunate enough to lock co-owner of Sloop Brewing Co., Adam Watson, and director of sales, Joe Turco, down for a conversation about, well, beer. As you'll hear in this episode, there's a bit of ambient noise in the background, as this is a large, open, and to be frank, quite busy facility. This is on the record with Sloop Brewing Co. Founded in a garage. Literally just in a garage. This is interesting, too, just also because of your last name, obviously, with Watson, IBM tie-ins, oddly enough. And then the Bill Gates route, you know, we just started something in a garage. It's where everything that is classic and familiar and fantastic starts. It shows that you really want to do it. You've got a little area to do something. You start building it. How many times do you fail making beer in the garage for the first time? Uh, Many, many times. (laughs) (laughs) To the point, is it discouraging, though, at Um, some point? No, I mean, kind of like a. what kind of happened is after after college, me me and my partner, uh, friend Justin, he's our head brewer and production manager here, we were just homebrewing after after we graduated a lot. We had more beer than we knew what to do with, so we started selling it. So we failed many times as as homebrewers, but that kind of gave us our legs to be able to, you know, kind of want to say like we know what we're doing, but you know we're we're still learning every day. And I, that's a piece of the process. And any time that you have all this leftover beer, how much does that hurt to just pour that down a drain? Or were you still drinking it anyway? Yeah, it tastes like shit, but it doesn't matter. No, I mean you keep test batches as as uh, small as possible. Um, but but yeah, I mean you know at, when we were home brewing, I. I once made a beer with a kombucha yeast that was... A, I don't even want to talk about We're it. We're on to something. <laughs> now there's alcoholic kombucha. Early on in, in these stages, too, where you're learning what works, what doesn't work, is there just a journal, like a test log next to everything where you say... Yeah, hey, everything's well documented. This is how much we, we put in. Yeah, yeah, every, everything's documented. I, every, every batch that comes out of here um, from start to finish is, is documented from when we bought the ingredients to when we sold the beer. And then how much time actually happened between you creating that first failed batch, essentially, to then saying, oh, we've got something here. Let's start selling this at the farmer's market. I mean, it was kind of organic. Like, after uh, we got our liquor license, uh, we started filling up. Uh, we were selling 22-ounce bombers uh, at the farmer's markets. And every batch that was made got sold pretty much that week. And then uh, it just took it from there. So all the, the growth was very very much organic just going to farmers markets talking to the people um that was our only source of revenue at the time was the farmers markets until we finally um started getting beer into lo- local shops like uh you know halftime into chico's around here farmers markets in 2011 were they were there i don't think they had the same popularity as they do today where now there's a farmers market in every single town and mm-hmm. it's big yeah it's not just a couple guys out there how many other people were at these farmer markets at that um, point i mean there there was you know guy selling ice cream there was the you know the honey lady we were uh i was stationed next to uh this business that opened uh it was like around marlboro he was uh making tilapia and it, <laughs> delicious. But yeah, actually, I did a lot of shopping there. I got some good meat and honey. <laughs> <laughs> Ate some ice cream. Traded beer for different stuff. It was pickles. Fun. Oh, the pickles were great. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a pickle guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. always. So tell me, though, in doing the farmer's market, you were producing this still in the garage at that point mm-hmm. for the most part. And then you're doing a lot of sales at the farmer's market. Yeah. And you're maybe looking at other avenues to sell the beer. And... At this point, then you approach a local farm, essentially. How far was this farm? Uh, Elizaville. So that was, uh, from this location, it was about an hour up to Taconic. But this was closer to you in the garage at that point, no? Right, yeah. The garage is based in Poughkeepsie, so it was probably 45 45 minutes. minutes. Yeah. All right, that's cheaper rent, right? And you're brewing things. You need to make sure costs are down to be able to turn some type of profit, at least. Oh, well, that, the farm was an investment. That's when we went from, like, homemade garage equipment to actually buying a brew house. That's so it. that's when it kind of turned into just, like, you know, me and Justin doing this on the side to, all right, this is we're going to quit our day jobs and do this as a business. So that was the real leap of faith there. 
a lot of guys get creative when they're looking for spaces. There's not always space available. It's not on the market necessarily. You know, 2011 was a different place in computer time. Uh, how did you actually structure a deal in going into this farm location? Um, just like a traditional way of going. I mean, we, we were, uh, you know, we, we, we occupied a large portion of that barn. Um, just, you know, had a lease arrangement. P- pretty standard okay we yeah we we built out the tasting room there um put in all the you know electric we had to run three-phase electric up to there um put in a septic system put in all the utilities got the boiler bought all the equipment in the costs that go into doing something like that for the first time and justin says it often as he's building out his version two of his restaurant from scratch Mm -hmm. how many unforeseen costs just popped up and like you just said, you had to put in the three-phase electric. That was factored in, but there's te- there's definitely a lot of unforeseen costs. Okay. I mean, in any any venture you're going to do, you're going to try and plan as much as possible. But then when you actually start executing things, then all of a sudden things pop up out of nowhere. That that's bound. That's going to happen. So this 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 wasn't your own property though. You were leasing no, it, right? Yeah, yeah. Was that was it all on you to? Do whatever you needed to do to put it in there. Was there some help from you know the landlord? Oh, the landlord definitely helped okay. out. Yeah, yeah. But I mean that. Yeah, the landlord here helps out too. Like we, you know, you you. It's it, it's a business partnership between the tenant and the landlord. Cause, yeah, because we saw a lot of that going back and forth. Like I spoke about it in one of the other one of the other episodes. The differences to the the two landlords that we have, and one's like business friendly and doing stuff and understands like you got to put stuff into it. Yeah. And then there's even been some talk about. Um, you know, like a joint venture type thing where there's like a revenue sharing or something like that, which we didn't want to get into because then it's like, yeah, that you know, complicates you the numbers. So. Yeah, I mean, unless they're putting up a lot of money, right, but. right, and the numbers are there. So yeah. I'm always curious to see when you know when buildings happen and whatever, what are the deals. Happen well, yeah, there's a, a business relationship between a tenant and a landlord, but if you're going to have shared equity, then it's a totally different kind of relationship. How much more were you yielding now, being in the barn versus being in the garage? So. Turco over here, our sales manager, he signed on here uh, right when we were kind of, we had we had the barn maxed out. Right. So I believe we maxed out around 4,500 barrels per year mm-hmm. at the barn, and then here we're ramped up to like 40,000? 40, 40, yeah. 40, 42,000. So we went, Elizaville in 2017, we just did, uh, yeah, just over 4,000 on the year. So it the growth went you know, very in, in reference though, how much were you able to crank out in the garage? Oh, in the garage, <laughs> oh, hundred barrels a year. <laughs> okay, so this is a significant increase here. We've mm-hmm. got a business, we've got something people are coming to. In the garage, you developed the idea of calling the sloop. I presume mm-hmm. early on, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, it's the hardest thing to do is come up with a name, and we know that sloop is the reference to the sailboat. Mm-hmm. There. The boat that was used to bring the settlers in, mm-hmm. yeah. And how many different names did you toss around before essentially deciding on sloop? Uh, many, how many names? It was, I don't know. We went, it was probably a month long process of like, no, nah, I don't like that. All right, that sounds cool, but like, we wanted a name that was tied to the Hudson Valley, and the fact that the sloop boat was used to kind of navigate up and down the Hudson, you know, throughout history made sense do you pull friends and family when you come up with names and get their ideas and their feelings back or you just shoot the bow and arrow and say this is it we're, we're sticking to it no we we did back then but we didn't have employees or you know people like that but like now when we decide stuff like that it is done internally we have a group of people that'll kind of decide that stuff but yeah back in back in those days it was friends and family especially beer names like we have fun with that so yeah we all get together so when you guys moved from the garage to the farm, how many like solid or set recipes of beers did you have? Like how many? What was your repertoire like when you made uh, that move? We were doing Red Sea, uh, so Red IPA, Old World, Old World Pale Ale was the first beer that was was brewed. Infliction, Confliction was, was early, first, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Confliction Sour Peach, Sour Peach, yeah. which is coming back out this year. Um, yeah, what? Yeah, you said Red Sea, Black Sea. We were Black doing, Sea, yeah. So it was a relatively small catalog then. Yeah, yeah. That first yeah. yeah it was yeah. like the, our first. When we launched, we had Old World and 
Red Sea, I think, were the first two. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we had a catalog of... We'd us- I was usually selling, like, four beers at the farmer's market. So, like, always Red Sea, mm-hmm. uh, always Old World. And then there was, like, Rotators. As somebody that does graphic design work and branding a lot, too, you see on the shelves, there's a lot of maybe newer brands that come out, and not just beer, anything, really, that don't understand maybe especially at the point of time that they're in in their business that branding is important and creating a uniform feel for a brand or a character if you will matters a lot and mm-hmm. i mean we're sitting right now in this this current fishkill uh sloop brewery and the colors are very they're the same. They're uniform throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They look like the cans. The mm-hmm. cans have all these beautiful, bright colors in it, too. And when you were starting early on, were the cans so much more basic before somebody decided, hey, we've got to make our stuff all look similar. It's got to all look the same. It's got to stand out on a shelf. Yeah, we, I, we weren't even... We were doing, we were doing very small amounts. Yeah, bottles yeah. at the beginning, and then cans started with the can releases... Brewery That's not only until we moved up to Elizaville. Yeah, and doing cans. over at Elizaville, it was brewery only, and then once we got a brand new canning line and you know ramped up production and started with the twelve ounce printed and all that. That's when it got really crazy. But the old school cans were just basically the you know blank sixteen ounce can with a label, and you know a lot of time went into the artwork and all that stuff and and the design. But I think we ramped that up when we got here and started canning on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, and so. to, to your point, though, yeah, brand consistency is extremely important. Yeah. So, like, when you when somebody sees something that's Sloop, it needs to be obviously mm-hmm. that it's a Sloop product. Mm-hmm. Whether you're just sitting in the tasting room looking at what's on the wall to you're at Hannaford's trying to pick out which six-pack you're going to buy, you're going to be able to recognize the brand. And it does, a lot of the things that you do, do have this big, bold font. Mm-hmm. It almost feels cloudy, and, and not cloudy as in can't see through it. Cloudy as in the letters, they're bubbly a little yeah, bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that carries through through a lot of what you do. And even looking at the illustrations of the graphics, it's just so simplified, basic, clean. Aesthetically, it's pleasing. And I think this stands out on a shelf of beer a lot, too, because there's so often you see crazy death reapers on bottles and mm-hmm. yeah, things like yeah, this that are hand yeah. drawn. And mm-hmm. I mean, these are all clearly put through illustrator where yeah. they're, they're perfect circles, right? Yep. Perfect circles, perfect lines. And that stands out a lot. Uh, I did read though, that there was a lot of risk in getting the canning line going where it was just like a Craig, Craigslist ad essentially. And somebody had to take a trip out to Chicago to oh, that go was our take a shot. First at, canning line. That was the first one. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, th- that was our first one. It was eight cans per minute. So when we started doing uh, can releases up at in Elizaville, that's what that was. Um, that canning line. Turco had the pleasure of working on that can. I line did when I first started. It, yeah, it took five guys eight cans a minute. Now we do. Uh, it was painful. It would take half the day to do like a half a pallet of cans. And so how, how, how quick are you ninety? Oh, close to hundred twelve ounce per minute yes. on this canning yeah. line, and then the sixteen ounce hit. Close to 80. That's a, a huge story in growth yeah. right there, yeah. just yeah. those metrics. And in the canning line, explain it to me and others that don't understand what goes into the process of actually getting this beer brewed, then it hits canning at some point. I know there's a handful of things in between there that you'll explain to me. And then you can this thing, you label, the labels come first or the labels come Depends. after? Depends. If it's the printed 12-ounce can, they arrive already printed. So basically, you know, once the beer is transferred from the fermenter to the bright tank, it's ready, you know, and it's ready to be packaged. We set up the canning line. There's a depalletizer. We load just a pallet of empty cans. They go through. They go up. They get sanitized. And they come down for or filled at a time in a lane. And they pass through. And then they go through basically like a dryer and they go on a conveyor belt and we shoot um, a laser printed date on the bottom of the can of today's date. If they're canning right now, the beer will have today's date on it. And then it goes straight and it hits uh, the cartoner. So basically the six packs automatically wrap six cans and then the guys date the outside of the box and put them in a case and then start palletizing them. Um, The only change with the 16 ounce, it's the same process, but then instead of going straight, those are all Pac-Tech on top, so they turn left, and then there's a labeler. So it's blank 16-ounce cans, and it just runs through, and label goes on the can. They pass through, and the guys just Pac-Tech for them and put them in a case, and then 
go this that This is route. like, this is an episode of the way things work. How many guys do you need to actually execute this, though? It sounds like at 90 cans a minute coming out, or 80 cans, what, whatever it was you just said there, yeah, who's receiving this? Like, there was, what, so, right yeah, it's now? it's got to be like six, maybe. Yeah. It, it depends, depends on the day, but... Um, Sometimes there's 15 guys. You know, it depends on what, what depends we're on doing, what's going what's on, Because we might be kegging at the same time, too. So then, you know, you need guys for that. But then there's, you know, there's also somebody that's got to take the pallets, put it in the cooler, put it in the right spot, make sure the pallets are labeled, organize it. Right? It's crowded so, in there now because, yeah, there's they're kegging, canning, and then there's guys washing the kegs. And so, then there's guys washing, cleaning yeah. the tanks. Yeah. And then that's just packaging side. Then mm-hmm. you got the seller and the brewery too. Has the has the wrong label ever made it onto the beer? Where that? that's that luckily has not been an issue. Ever. <laughs> that ever happened? Somebody better knock on wood. That person wouldn't be here. I don't think. <laughs> so in scaling an operation, and you know, we talk to a lot of people that have maybe like a mom and pop restaurants, just one location. The systems are often not in order yet to be able to scale. Mm-hmm. And now you've done two different scalings, essentially, coming from the very small operation of being in a garage to then being in the barn and then scaling once again to where we are here. I mean, this is like 25,000 square feet. It's a huge building that we're in. Like, what kind of difficulties do you actually go through in making that next scale up every single time? Logistically, right now where we're sitting, it seems like a nightmare going from something way smaller into, into this. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, especially here, we didn't have a restaurant at the old spot. This is the first time we did a full yeah, kitchen, and, kitchen and everything. So that was a challenge in itself. It was the first time we were doing that, how to get the right chef, how to get, you know, right people in place to do that. So I think that this in itself, the tasting room was a challenge. The tasting room at the old spot was very small. And we did, I think, hot dogs and pretzels um so it's a lot different with in that sense but yeah just adding the right people i mean you know i, I think that's key i mean to be able to hire hire correctly um i mean you know we hired uh you know our, our chef here adam slayman he's been amazing doing great food um you know so is our taste room manager she, she's running the whole front of house mm-hmm. um you know we have got Great brewers, great seller people, and a good packaging team. So if, if you if you hire right, then I think that's half your battle. Other than that, scaling up, you know, obviously cash flow you got to be conscious of to make sure you got enough to make payroll every week. You know, check your margins all the time. I mean, there's a million million. I can go on for days, but yeah, I I think it starts with hiring correctly. It's a scary jump. Though also where you're adding everybody onto the payroll and you know maybe oh, yeah. you don't we went have from to seven employees yet. to like sixty employees like yeah when I started within, we were seven and now, yeah yeah just looking at the the breakdown too and just you see it on the labor side of things looking at the breakdown of how much you're about to spend over the year on just employees like that's a oh, shock yeah. just seeing that for the first time where mm-hmm. it's like all right we we're gonna make enough of this money to put it back out like that yeah uh, and. What you just said with the kitchen, and uh, Nooms could chime in, of course. Finding somebody in-house to work the kitchen seems like it's not always the way that it happens in a brewery. Uh, I see that they're contracted out the kitchens a little bit here and there to put somebody in over the weekend or the course of a month or whatever it is, and that alleviates your stresses of not really understanding the kitchen side Mm -hmm. because you guys are excelling in making beer, not putting out the world's best pizza slice. You know what I mean? Right, right. So in finding a chef like that, is that just throwing something up on Indeed and looking for somebody No, actually, he was a recommend. Adam was a recommendation from uh, Anthony, who works at Craft New York, yeah. our, our biggest distributor. Yeah. Uh, it's a friend of his. So he, we, we, we lucked out. Adam came from a great spot in the city, a Michelin spot, and then Anthony's wife, Works yeah. at the CIA. Yeah, she's the, like the head baker there. So they worked together at a restaurant previously. That's how they build a relationship. And we had interviewed what eight, nine chefs. And yeah, so you yeah. have a, so you have a plug then on the culinary side. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's nice that it's nice to have it in. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because <laughs> yeah. we find it. It's like it's always a struggle with like we can interview ten guys, two, sorry, ten people. Yeah. Right, and two two are good. One gets the job. And then fingers crossed that it actually works out. Yeah. yeah. And especially like you mentioned Indeed or like Craigslist, it's like that's even more of a struggle to go off that way. And we started trying to work off references and stuff like that. But 
getting a little easier. Seems to be of, unfortunately more of a pool of people looking for work right now, just because of the nature yeah. of the business, yeah. especially on the on the kitchen side of it. But it's nice to have that in and like plugged in where you could just pluck somebody no, out. No, we we definitely lucked out. Yeah, I mean he was our first uh, uh, hire for for that position and. I wouldn't have it any other way. He's been here since yeah, since it's open. Yeah. What kind of food items are coming out of the tasting room kitchen? Uh, he does a lot of different things. So uh, burgers, we have the pizza oven. So he does a few different pizzas. Um, does uh, spicy dan dan noodles? That's which my are favorite. My favorite. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. That and the brisket rice bowl are my yeah. two favorites, and the falafel bowl. Brif- brisket so rice bowl. Like all over the place. <laughs> brisket yeah. rice bowl with kimchi. Uh, yeah, the falafel. Uh, he'll do specials. He he done taco, or we have tacos, but he's done taco specials. He's done. Um, he just did something for Chinese New Year uh, last Friday. So, yeah, actually, yeah. I think I saw pictures of that yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. he. He gets creative, and um, the place the place he came from in the city. Was, yeah, I was gonna ask, do you know what restaurant it was? It was Uncle Boone's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was a it was a Thai spot. Yep. It's an authentic Thai, not the Thai that you know we, <laughs> we, we know. And he, yeah. so I think he grabbed a lot of ideas from that and brought it here. So with your connection at uh, CA, do you find yourself getting a lot of like externs and kids finishing their program coming to work here? Yeah, we had a couple pass through uh, yeah. for sure, um, especially at the beginning, and um, they're always we do a lot of work with them. Mm-hmm. So Adam and I speak to their they have a, a beer class a brewery class so mm-hmm. we've gone in there and done different talks with them and um i've gone to their beefsteak dinner every year which is amazing uh not not this past year I, actually i did go it's right before covid yeah. um, but just uh, made it yeah. yeah but yeah they're they're great you know and and then it, what's great in the area especially in the city or here a lot of students we spoke to mm. are now buyers at an account or front of the house manager so yep. you kind of see them you get to build oh, those connections early exactly oh you yeah. spoke in my class three years ago it's like oh yeah so it works out with the way that breweries have kind of altered over the years i want to there's a lot of different fronts here that i kind of want to expand on they seem to be way bigger of a hangout than they ever were in over the course of the last four years, five mm-hmm. years even, maybe we should say. And a lot, I think a lot of times in the past, the breweries were just designed strictly to kind of just put out the beer. Maybe there was a small tasting room in the front and that was it. But now I guess with the popularity of Instagram and Facebook yeah. and people seeing where everybody is, now we're sitting in huge rooms where people could congregate and hang out. I mean, I could imagine that this place is... Twice as packed though when you don't have to socially distance and things we definitely had home. a bunch more tables in here before COVID. Yeah, yeah we I had mean, to change a lot of things. Yeah, you're you're six feet apart more than that even on these yeah. tables for yeah. safety reasons, mm-hmm. I'm sure. And how has that altered things? It seems like being able to put everybody in the tasting rooms is just a great way to make a little bit more money in a brewery and show people what you're about too. Where now it's you can't do it as much. It seems like. Well, I think. Um, yeah, not, not only is the restaurant side uh, another source of revenue, but it's also a way for people to come and experience your brand. So, you know, we're trying to give, like, not only when somebody just buys a six-pack, takes it home, drinks it, they're having, a, they're having an experience doing that, but if they come here, then they're fully immersed in what we have to offer. So not just the beer, not just the food, but the artwork on the wall, the music that's playing, it's, it's, a, it's an experience for somebody. And that's, it's nice to be able to give people not just a beer, but an experience as well. What kind of music is typically playing? Oh, it's random all the it's time. It's so random. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's not like a set playlist. It's, yeah. Sometimes you're weirded out. You're like, who's playing this? But, and we even pre-COVID, we had this whole area here was sort of a lounge area where we had couches and then cornhole. We have two arcade games that were up against the wall, but, you know, with Shut COVID, the we... Down. We yeah, put them in no the back arcade until, games right now. Yeah, until we can bring them out again. So yeah, yeah. Which which arcade games were they? NBA Jam '94 Tournament Edition. Nice. And then there was another one that's like all the classic games in one. So it's like Donkey Kong. <laughs> yeah, they had like a hundred games and all that stuff. Yeah. All choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The growth also on the other front that I want to tackle is breweries are just getting bought up left and right by way bigger brands, InBev, Sam, whatever it is. Over the course of craft beers starting to become so popularized, and we say it all the time, it's a bubble that won't really explode. It'll just maybe be harder for the smaller guys to get their foot in the door. And 
you see things like Blue Point and Long Island just got purchased a couple years ago also, which mm-hmm. then scales them up significantly in being able to do this. And down the road, is their desire to be purchased by a larger company to be able to take the brand from you know this East Coast area that you are currently into dominating the West Coast as well? Or for us, I mean, we're pretty, we're pretty much status quo right now. I think, so I think Derek will tell you he can do that by himself. That's exactly what he would say. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say. We don't need anybody else. We got Turco. <laughs> yeah, I think, and it's interesting because yeah, you do see that a lot, but we're, it, we're proud because we've grown all this internally. We're 22 states right now. Um, Juice Bomb, one of the top selling IPAs in the Northeast. Um, it's 73% of our production. Uh, you know, that's been a powerhouse for us um, on tap at Madison Square Garden, on tap at all these high profile places. And, we just launched Florida. We launched a lot of southern states now that are it's picking up very quickly. I mean, all the beers, but specifically Juice Bombs, you know, the, the lead dog going in there. Um, and it's surprising, I think, to me to see the response that so many bar owners in Florida know Juice Bomb. And this is the first time we're selling beer there, you know. So I think people, you know, with untapped and things like that these days, people have a pulse on the market. So... Um, the way that you spread, uh, I want to say it's a spread because from what I've seen through the course of everything is that you start here, you start getting, I guess, permits for the next states that you could sell in and uh, you're attacking directly outside of where you are and continuously building down the map a little bit. Is there any state that you're just directly in that's just random somewhere that's not attached to another state that you're in Um, or is that part of the strategic development in spreading your brand out yeah we uh, originally uh like 2018 we were in the whole northeast we filled out all of new england um you know the, a lot of great accounts and distributors that we work with and then um we actually jumped everybody and went to south carolina and i think we wanted to see if we were a regional brand are we a national brand can we turn into something bigger so that was just sort of a guinea pig state for us and that opened up Tennessee, North Carolina, Florida, D.C., Virginia, and all of these other states where we're going to start sending beer in the next month uh, to Kentucky. Um, so we're starting to piece that together, but I think it's what makes the most sense. I like looking at the map and, you know, filling in, you know, we're not in Georgia, we're not in Delaware, we're not in West Virginia. We're kind of, you know, looking at that as next steps, but... Um, when you start to expand like that, this facility can only hold so much or produce so much i should say and the partnership with smutty nose to produce for you i'm assuming you just said 70 percent is the juice bomb we don't even have to talk about the juice bomb everybody knows the juice mm-hmm. bomb at this point uh i like it it's not super bitter that's great mm-hmm. yep. it's not really bitter at all for the most part yep and it, that's a huge selling point i think especially in the summer mm-hmm. uh with that though smutty nose is probably picking up some of the juice bomb production or but it is picking up. Uh, we we basically only been doing some specialty beers there since we started there in August and Confliction, our dry hop kettle sour. You know, we're looking at the rest of the year, trying to see what makes the most sense. But um, that actually freed up a lot of room here for Juice Bomb. So uh, Justin, um, our our co-founder and our head brewer, uh, go to Smutty Nose Weekly, brew with their team. Um, we have a group of guys that go there, work with their team, and then package the beer. So it's not your traditional you know contract brewing it's it's a partnership that we entered with them and it works out really well so you know all of our cans will say new hampshire and new york on it just in case we have to plug and play or put something mm-hmm. there but um it's come in handy it's helped us oh, yeah. because we yeah we we hit a wall here in such a short time that you know i did i saw a beer review the other day from about the juice bomb it was actually like, it was a German guy. He was like, I'm reading here. It's from Fischgir, New York. <laughs> it's crazy to see how much this thing is spread now. Yeah. And, you know, and as great as it is to have something that leads the pack and is putting you into all these different doors and bars and, you know, different uh, liquor stores or wherever you buy beer. How hard is it then when you've got a piano man, essentially, to develop the next big thing that's going to carry you when down the road at some point Sloop Juice Bomb becomes just like, oh, yeah, we've had that a handful of times. 
you know, what's next? I think there's a lot of small batch stuff that we work the local market. If it does well, we expand on it. Um, I think marketing is as much as the quality of the beer is important. The marketing behind is important. You know, we juice bomb the name itself, just that beer blew up um, on both sides, the liquid and the marketing. Uh, but I think for us, it's, you know, identifying something new, our Pilsner. Justin has our Pilsner on tap now, and it just crushes Sloop Pills. Um, you know, our Confliction, uh, we're, we're doing full steam, introducing new sours into the year, into the mix, um, helps out a lot. So something catches, even if it's another IPA with like Super Soft or something like that, we, we r- ramp it up and, and ride with it. And I think it's just keeping it creative, though, you know, keeping it fresh, obviously, we're very fortunate as a young brewery to have a beer like Juice Bomb that we can kind of work on these other things as well and, and incorporate them. And that's the open waters side of your slogan, essentially, is so we could build upon things that people know already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could stay true to the core values. Yep. And then from there, let's throw a couple meatballs at the wall. How often do you taste some things here in the tasting room? that haven't really been released just to see the reception of the people almost as an in-house test market. Yeah, we do 15 barrel batches that only get released in the tasting room. Mm-hmm. So. There's also a nice thing for the customers that come here to have something that's, you know, yeah. yeah. We do and uh, things like we just did a low-key JB, low-key juice bomb, which is 4.5%. I love that sound. And we just released it here. It's tasting good. Yeah, it's yeah. tasting great. We're, we, we're actually getting the calorie count tested on that, see where, where we hit. And then uh, we did Juiciest Bomb. Same day, that, yeah. triple IPA, which yep. with COVID and everything, it's been a while, but we opened the doors at three on a, on a Thursday when we opened and 30 people just rushed in <laughs> to, to grab it. We, we didn't release it to the market. So we, yeah. we, we'll, we'll keep it fun and keep it here. And, and then you see the response on the beer blogs and beer groups and distributors and accounts that, you know, we'll scale it up a little bit, send a couple of kegs out, see, you know, do a little event around it or something like that. And, that's when you kind of know we have something. Are you seeing a rise in popularity in the low ABV, the sessions? Yeah. I, I don't even touch IPAs anymore. Uh, you know, after years of drinking them, done. I want to hang out for a while. Yeah. I want to have something that's sessionable, and I want to sit and be able to ha- maintain a conversation with the buddies because you know what happens. You're at a bar, and all of a sudden, shots come out. You can't do 8% beers and then all of a sudden be taking shots of Jameson sure. also. No, I'm in my 30s work. now. I can't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you wake up a little bit beat up. Is there a focus on going toward really producing these sessions? I mean, you're testing it here with the Loki. I would love to try this down the road when it does <laughs> pop up somewhere. Yeah, no, I think trying out that. I mean, our Pilsner was a good test. It, it made me happy. I can go somewhere and drink a few, and it's only 5%. And it's easy drinking and I might not put on as many pounds, but I think that's the other thing. Everybody, you know, is so conscious about what they're eating, what they're drinking. And, and, yeah, lo- and that's low calorie yeah. um, is, yeah, especially I think the seltzers, the boom and seltzer kind of took that and ran with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot, lot more low calorie, low alcohol products on the market, not just here, but everywhere. I think I will, I will say when we switched to the soup pills, it quickly jumped up to the number one draft. And actually sold twice as much as the juice bomb did wow. for us. It's crazy. Not that yeah. the juice bomb didn't sell for yeah, us. Sure. But yeah, sure. We pulled two twice as many. We're we're those. we're pumped for that. We we scaled it up. We just kegged two hundred of them the other day. We you know that was a beer that we introduced. I mean, it's available in all markets, but not every market is a pilsner market. You know, and New York City is a big one. That was really a beer. We kind of said, all right, we're gonna trickle it out into the city, but and then it started catching on elsewhere. And it started catching on upstate, and then, you know, we saw that, oh, that's a easy-drinking Chris Pilsner that I can have a few of. And I think Juice Bomb helped that beer and is helping that beer grow. Because everybody says, well, I love Juice Bomb. I love some of the specialty stuff from Sloop. All right, I'm going to try this. And Pilsner is something we wanted to get into here. Uh, as somebody that hates Pilsner, I note a lot of times that – you usually only see one Pilsner on, on the tap list, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering here, Just, where I know you have a handful of IPAs up on the tap also because they're hugely selling beer. By putting the Pilsner up, are you fulfilling somebody that wants something different that's lighter and, and that's a reasoning for well, yeah, so much does, sales? It does like two things. One, it fulfills that thing. We don't carry as many IPAs as we did just because we have to put a draft list down because we're half, yeah. right? But uh, it does two things. One, it does fulfill that need, and also is a 
it's like our opener if somebody is still stuck on the Miller Coors Bud Light type thing and they're, we don't have that on draft and they yeah. ask for something like that or Heineken, whatever, we can very easily use a Pilsner mm-hmm. from one of the craft breweries or you guys or whatever to suggest and get somebody off that because yep. they usually it's like a good starting point for yeah, someone yeah. who doesn't drink outside of that gateway beer yeah. yeah and especially if you have an older demographic of people showing up into the bar too that's we get yeah, that's the older them. demographic for sure mm-hmm. that's their go-to yeah like, what do they say i don't want that's they always get I don't want one of these crazy. Oh, yeah. Just give me that. I'm like, all right. Just, yeah, here's a pill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. You'll like it. You just noted that you're in the process of getting the calorie counts tested. Are you sending that out, or at this point, are you doing this in house? Oh, we sent that out to just uh, for low key JB uh, specifically to kind of get an idea of what you know. Okay. What, what we're looking at. With typically, that. is that something that is done in house? The calorie counts. We do. Well, we, no, we don't do calorie mm-hmm. counts in house. We do plenty of lab testing, but yeah. calorie counts isn't. Full-time lab, full-time lab technician. So we yeah. do, we test everything. We test all, every batch. You know, we hold back batches. Um, That's more for quality control rather yeah. than calorie yeah. testing. If down the road Justin has something in three months and he's like, eh, it tastes a little, we, we can go back and test that beer and say, oh, we didn't see anything. It could just be a thing, you know. Most of the time it's a line issue at the account or something like that, so. No, not my account. Not, not, so, his, not his, though. Not his, though. I'll say that, honestly, I've never had a bad one at his, at his bar. How has now COVID changed the way that not only the taproom works, uh, I think you probably see a lot more people driving up to get their beer releases and then driving off, and that's great. Increases the speed of people just coming mm-hmm. in and out, getting what they need. But then also... How has the marketing changed? Because you're maybe not doing as many in-bar events anymore, mm-hmm. considering there's yeah. not really people in the bars. <laughs> yeah, We have a five-person sales team and a um, guy who just covers New England specifically. And we uh, once June 1st hit last year, we, we met during COVID. Uh, COVID's still going on, during lockdown. And we came up with... You know, we saw what was happening, and we were canning a lot of beer, but we said the minute bars reopen, our job is to go and support the bars, you know, that have either been closed or, you know, are in danger of closing permanently or things like that. So went to a lot of Sloop accounts. We've traveled around, you know, most of New England and and New York State just to go have lunch, go say hello, go, you know, and that was kind of our way to say, hey, we're here if you need anything or whatever. Um, it went a long way because a lot of accounts were like, I haven't, you know, I haven't seen anybody and, um, with all the restrictions and I get it, you you get somebody who might cover 12 States that works for a brewery, you know? So that was a good thing, especially with the local market where we could go out and support all these people and just, you know, we're friends with a lot of these people. It's just, let's go say hi, let's go do that. So that was a little bit of a challenge, but we're starting to get back into, Socially distance events. We did a great beer dinner at Smokehouse a couple of weeks ago, and you know I thought it was awesome. And you know, capped the number. Everybody's spaced out, so I think we'll. I think this summer we'll see looser restrictions and and more people getting back to those things. Uh, we actually met at Tagin, and you did a tap takeover at one point during a trivia night. And the reception of Sloop, and I say this as a New York guy mm-hmm. where Juice Bomb wasn't all over the place on that side. Really, I didn't see. And I was introduced to it in Tagine because we had Sloop Juice Bomb on tap. And I said, oh, I'll try this as my end of the night beer. And it was thoroughly enjoyable. And I started learning about more so the breweries that were on the north side that I wasn't really familiar with as much being in Connecticut now. And seeing how many people came out, the reception and how many people were purchasing these slim, these slims that we had yep. that you brought over with us mm-hmm. to test some new things. Mm-hmm. Are you looking, though, at the reception to the sales when you bring these little Slim Jims over to yeah, test Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, especially if you can get it from the consumer or point of view or opinion from anybody, it's awesome. And I think, you know, these events, a lot of people look at these events of, oh, we're just going to go and drink a bunch of beers. It's like, no, you go and you mingle and you talk and, you know, we can really talk to the consumer. We can also go to a bar and restaurant, talk to somebody, you know, we're not going to go in a Hannaford. We're not going to go into the Chico's and just grab some random person in the beer section and be like, what do you think? You know, those people you're meeting at the bar. 
And those are the people who are like, oh, I buy your beer here all the time and, you know, drinking at home. So I think things like that go go a long way and it gives us a good pulse on, you know, each market. Every, everywhere is different. So, you know, for us, it's like, all right, maybe something works in Connecticut that doesn't work here or vice versa. So it's always good. We look at the retail side of beer and liquor currently during COVID and it's such irony in some sense that the bars are getting killed because the people can't be out there, but the liquor stores themselves are thriving because everyone's buying things to take home. And I've talked to a handful of different reps all over the place that are essentially saying like, yeah, the retail side's killing it. Like I'm getting hammered out here because all the bars are closed. They're not buying as much as they were. Have you noticed looking on the back end of sales spikes happening for the retail that are offsetting the sales of the restaurants and bars where you're kind of making out okay in that sense? Yeah, I think we noticed that. I think specifically in uh, March, April, May of last year, and then even summer um, with all the restrictions and, and things like that, we, we did notice that. And I mean, it, it just kept cranking and cranking and cranking. And, um, you know, I also think now we're seeing a little bit of a you're starting to see more of a balance. You're seeing the bars and restaurants pick up more. But, you know, off-premise, liquor stores, you know, package stores, grocery stores are still doing very well. But yeah. you're st- And I think we'll see another spike in both worlds. I think once the warm weather hits, you got outdoor seating, y- you can open up a little bit more inside, and then you're going to get the people that haven't traveled and said, I'm going to go to halftime. I'm going to go to the Chico's. I'm going to buy a, you know, a bunch of beer. I'm going to do the outdoor barbecue. I couldn't have more than 10 people last summer. Now I can have 25, 30, you know. So I think we're going to see that as well. People grabbing beer, going to the Jersey Shore, you know, all that stuff. So um, we're starting to see the balance again um, this year. Joe, you just said, too, that you were getting the reception from places when you walked in, they said, I haven't seen reps. I haven't seen anybody. I haven't talked to anybody. And Justin, you've said this actually a, a few times that you haven't seen any reps showing up and it was very hard for you to get your hands on anything. And now that we're going back into the summertime now, you guys ready to do the full court press back on the places that are about to be opening up and start doing summer sales with their outside patios and drastically increasing you know, what they're purchasing from you through the winter? Yeah, I think so. We, uh, we brought on uh, several states last year during this. Or normally we like to go out and launch the state in person. So we're trying to get Virginia, you know. We officially started sending them beer after we launched D.C. at the beginning of last year, and um, we couldn't go out. So I think June 14th week we're going to do a blitz in the Virginia market, and I think that just only um, creates more buzz. And I think, I think it's good because it's hard. It's easy here because with all the travel restrictions, we can go anywhere. But I'm talking to accounts in Pennsylvania. I'm talking to accounts in South Carolina and all these places that are like, oh, we can't wait for you to get out here. And as we're all getting vaccinated and things are, are you know, happening, I think it's going to be a lot easier, especially towards summer. Are the, what you were talking about, what I was saying about sales reps kind of disappearing was more on the, on the distributor side, not so much on the, the, uh, the product side. Sure. Because I felt like, soon as this happened most of the big distributors put their hands up and were, and were like covid and laid everybody off yep. and i thought kind of despite themselves where now there were sales to be made but no one out there making the sales and servicing the people that were open at least in our experience were open i can't call a liquor rep i can't call i couldn't get a i couldn't get a distributor rep in to like i need this product or i need that product especially with like our our bar program is not as as simple as most where you can just pick, you know, the top five SKUs out of the distributor and it's there. You can call the order board and, the, you know, whoever's answering the phone just knows what you're talking about. Yeah. A lot of times yeah. we're looking for a specialty beer or a specialty whiskey or something like that. Right, which is hand-sold. Somebody's coming in, describing right. the product. Mm-hmm. Someone, you, or someone knows allocations or yeah. knows where it is in the warehouse or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I was incredibly frustrated over the summer because I was like, you guys are missing an opportunity. You're turtling and just cutting your cutting your losses. Turtles. Well, that's the, that's the right. You're turtling. No, I like it. Oh, I get it. Yeah. 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 It's it's working. Keep talking. Keep talking. You don't get it? No, I was nodding to oh, it. Okay. I enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, they're cutting their losses instead of saying, like, no, we have an opportunity to do A, B, and C. We need to get people out here. And I thought they actually lost probably sales 
Oh, the they game did. Yeah. Over the, over the thing. Yeah. Like, I know. I see Joel all the time. I know you guys didn't do that. And I think a lot of the product side didn't do that. They were more more focused on like, well, they're not doing it now. We have to get out there and and still make sure our product is hit. Yeah. On-premise sales just ceased to exist for a while. Right. And a lot of distributors just were like, all right, if it's not here, then we're not. They didn't put any resources into it. Right. But now as it's picking back up. Uh, they might be a little slow to respond on getting the staff out there to really do what they were doing and make those sales and exactly. get our, the beer to the right accounts. But our team can go around and, and from day one, I said to all the guys, "You're not comfortable," you know. I mean, and everybody's like, "No, we're comfortable." Everybody's masked up. Everybody has sanitizer on them at all times in their cars. And they said, "This is what we want to do." And I, you know, I said, "You know, if, whether it's going to the grocery store or going anywhere, bar or restaurant, it it was it was big and." Um, I think we also helped out a lot with the distributors who cut a lot of staff. We, you know, we were there to kind of say, "All right, this guy, this guy needs juice, mom. Who do, let me reach out to somebody." So. <laughs> How many accounts do you actually have on hand? Oh, around about, I, that's I have to. That's thousands. Of I don't. Yeah, probably, I wouldn't yeah, be able to across every state. We yeah. would have to run a, a report. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot for you to be kind of individually touching base with a lot of these guys and meeting them and having words and it's, building it, out a repertoire too. It's hard, especially with the states further away. But I think as we grow, you know, that's when we invest in a mark. We call them market managers. That's when we put a market manager in the market and say, all right, you know, maybe eventually we do a southeast. You know, you cover. Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, you know, and but even then we do the best we can. Yeah. We can't we can't have somebody touch every account every week. That would be physically impossible. But during lockdown we did and COVID, I I've done virtual beer tastings for accounts in Virginia, South Carolina, and I, that went a long way where it's like I can't physically get there, but some accounts that we would say, Hey, oh I could use some I could use some cups. Send a box on yeah, just truck. to be able to have that relationship yeah. with the account, that for them to know that they can make a phone call or an email or a text and get a response from somebody directly from us that are, is going to support them and help them, I, that, I, that I think goes a long way. I yeah. mean, that's customer service. Yeah. I assume you're using some form of CRM then to delegate all the accounts out to people to keep up with? Yeah, so we basically we run off um, as, far as, as far as our team internally. So we basically... These guys have access. We run off iDig, um, iDig VIP, and not only uh, is it desktop friendly where we can run reports, look at numbers, dive really in depth, uh, what accounts haven't bought, what accounts have been buying, who's our top accounts, new placements. He'll pop up as a Hills new placement because he just tapped it within the past couple of months. Um, how's it doing? Check in with it, and then they also have the app on their phone where. They take, it's a sloop notebook, and they go in, spoke to Justin, Pilsner's moving really well, wants to do another beer dinner in the summer, you know, follow-up required, yep, blah, 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 and then it says distributor, sloop follow-up and distributor follow-up, yep, get with so-and-so rep, and, you know, touch base on availability of beers, allocations for the account, like, so it's it's very in-depth where you can do a lot. Um, I'm setting up one for... Uh, April 1st for the whole team where we're going to start doing freshness service. So you can log in and say go into X amount of grocery stores per week and check in and then you take photographs, you know. How's our beer looking on the shelf? And then at the end of April, we'll look at a full report and say, oh, we're looking pretty good. You know, code dates are good. Everything's looking good. So, I mean, the importance of using the CRM too, though, and just the fact what you just said, being able to jot down the notes for the next guy to come in. Yeah. You know, in the event that somebody switches positions, they already have the whole history. They can yeah. see. Yeah, that all gets saved. They never <laughs> check the notes. And it, it, on it, the wholesaler it, side, it's notorious. <laughs> it's uh, great, though, if Adam's going into Manhattan with his wife. And he yeah, I can look me. up to see, oh, shit, this place is a really good. Am I allowed to curse on this? Uh, You're fine. Yeah. Uh, and it <laughs> picks up your GPS. It also picks up your GPS, and it shows you every account with a liquor license around you. So it's not necessarily sloop accounts. It's every bar and restaurant, even if it's a Rite Aid, we haven't sold to. That sounds like up. a lot of useful information. It's yeah, a lot. Yeah. It's a yeah, lot, yeah, and it's helps. necessary. But we, we also can look at, you know, Adam goes in. He doesn't have to bother me on a Saturday and be like, what's the name of the yeah. owner of this I'm place? I'm still going to do that. He's <laughs> probably going to. But he goes in, and he sees, and we log in all the information. Yeah. You know, owner, Justin, you know, 
assistant manager, boom, buyer, beer buyer, you know, so. For a data nerd like Jay over here, this seems like just up his alley. It's great. Well, if you want to grow in anything, you have to be analyzing the data points mm-hmm. and figure out where you're losing and where you're winning and where maybe you can increase a stranglehold. So, like, to, to me, it only makes sense. I mean, restaurants aren't going to use a CRM. They have no reason to do such. Uh, I, I don't really think, no, for the most part. No, but you have sales data. Like, yeah. you know how much your beer is sold at any given time. For sure. Like yeah, through lives. the POS system. And I'm even sure. for customers, like, we'll use our, our reservation system and have the same kind of notes, you know, if, uh, you know, Mr. Brown comes in, and every time he comes in, we notice something, we can write it down, you know. The nugget. He, yeah, he likes, let's say if he had the Pilsner and likes it, we can make a note, you know, he enjoyed the Pilsner, and then the next time he shows up in the system, you know, we can greet him, say, hey, you want to you wanna try, you want the Pilsner again, or you want to try something else? Kind of yeah. be prepared. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly the same, but it's the same concept. Yep. Is there any territory that you think is going to be a struggle to get into? No, I think um, I think challenges would be more towards out west because it's so far. Um, you know, right right now, I think we're just looking in the immediate area. I should say the east coast um, and focus on that. Um, eventually, get out there. I mean, we're sending beer to France, China, Netherlands. Small amount, uh, the nothing UK, huge, nothing but, crazy, but yeah. we're with very trustworthy. You ever listen to ESPN when they do like the random stats where you're like, oh, that is a ridiculous stat. Yeah. I mean, you could be in <laughs> one guy in China and say, yeah, sloops in China, right? So, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of course, it's a smaller amount. No that's doubt. How, yeah. That's how we're an international podcast. We got, yeah. we got, yeah, we got some listeners in yeah, China. China. That's oh, awesome. Right. Yeah. But you know, they're what? not many, but they're there. But it's cool <laughs> because then these guys are checking in our beer on untapped, so it's kind of cool. Of course. Like, Somebody in Shanghai is going to check in and be like, oh, I'm drinking a juice bomb. So When you do go out west, it's not insane to think that there's another factory or brewery that gets developed on the other side just to handle all of the business that goes out there, which I'm sure saves you a ton of money in getting the kegs out to wherever they need to go instead of having these trucks come and take them as far as. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't think that goes. would make sense for us to develop a market that way. But I mean,. How, I mean, before we go out west, there's plenty of low-hanging fruit here that we can nice. kind of get into and, and see, if, see where it goes. If we were to go out west, I think, just advice first of a lot of the breweries, it's usually by train. So we'll get by rail. You'll send the beer out quicker. and you know, don't have You've to added that truck. 12th and 11th and 13th freight that we have to wait on when sure. we're at the railroad crossing. Sure. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. So that's easier. That's an easier way to get out up there. If you've enjoyed this episode of On the Record, make sure you're subscribed for future releases where we cover the businesses that impact and shape our hospitality and restaurant cultures. Leave a review, hit the follow button on our Instagram, or if you've got a great idea for who we should be talking to, jump in our inbox. This has been On the Record.